Norma, would you pray for our time in the Word? Father God, again, thank you so much for, for this beautiful day, God. Thank you for, for your great love for us, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, Father God. Yes, Father. That we will see, Father God, that you are a good God, a good Father. That you love us, Father God. And it's your desire that no one should perish, but they will come to repentance. That they will come to that knowledge of the Holy One of Israel, Father God. So we thank you, Father God, for the freedom that we have here in this house. Father God, that we can come together and worship you in the spirit and truth, Father God. Yes, Father. So Lord Jesus, we, we come together to hear from you, God. We come together, Father God, to, Lord Jesus, to, to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We need you, Father. We need you yes, in this desperate hour, Father God. We need you, Father. This nation, this world is not our home, Father God. Yes. We ask you, Father God, this morning that you help us to be strong and courageous. We ask you this morning, Father God, that we will be bold, Father God, yes. for the gospel of Jesus Christ, because you paid the price for us, God. You did it all, Lord Jesus, and you cry out on that cross, it is finished. Father God, so it's, it's your desire that we go forward and tell someone about your Lord and your and your love and your son Jesus, Father God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be the, those people, that yes. we will be the chosen generation, that we will be strong and courageous, that we will be bold, Father God, that we will be wearing the gospel, that we will be, Father, that we will be wearing the 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 the, the the, arm, the armor of God, Father God, that we will be the soldier for yes. this generation, Father God, that we will be the people, that we will go forward with the light, Father yes. God, and we will be the souls for this generation, Father God, that there is lost, Father God, and we need, they need you, Father, they need you. You <coughs> set us free from sin and death, Father God, so we can go forward and tell someone, even if it's only one person per day, God, help us, help us put that desire, that passion in us, Father God, to tell someone about you, so Jesus, can you bring love for us, God? So, Lord, thank you that you rescue us, that you save us. And for that reason, Father, we are here to worship you and to say, come, Lord Jesus, come, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. you 
Oh, what a day that will be. Father, to be in your presence, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love endures forever. And it's your desire that none should perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of you. We thank you yet for another day, Father, that we can gather to open up your word. Oh, how I pray, God, that we would not, Father, (coughs) treat it lightly the opportunity that we have to gather, to come and to fix our eyes upon you, to hear from you, to to be led by you, Holy Spirit. We we thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit. We, We thank you that he's come to give us counsel and to teach us and to guide us and to lead us and and that we are called to walk in step with him, to walk habitually in the Spirit, so that we would not gratify the desires of our flesh. Oh God, there is work to be done. Father, your word declares that the fields are ripe, but the laborers are few, and that we are called to to pray and ask the Lord of the harvest for laborers. And So Father, we pray for laborers today, Father. That you would raise up men and women and children in our generation Father, that would boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. God, that we would go forth, Lord Jesus, bearing your image, announcing your kingdom come, your will be done. Seeking to do your will and not our own preaching the gospel, baptizing, discipling, God, impacting our generation, your kingdom, by your power, for your glory. So, Father, we ask, O God, that we would be attentive today to not get easily distracted and to throw off the sin that has so easily entangled us. God, that you would give us a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness for your name's sake. So we say yes, Lord. Come, Jesus. Come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The second R what we're focusing on today to resolve to decide firmly on a course of action to make up one's mind and again we have these three R's that I've been sharing with us since January and will continue through December to repent, to resolve and to release and to resolve to decide firmly on a course of action to make up one's mind and here are these scriptures that I've given us and Hopefully you're going back and you're meditating upon them and and you're also seeking God for wisdom on how they are to be applied in your life. And so Philippians 4 verse, verse 
13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength to resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action, to make up one's mind that it's not by your might nor by your power, but by Christ and Christ alone. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Psalm 118, verse 6 through 8. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look and triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. To resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action, to make up one's mind that the Lord is for me. I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look and triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. To apply these truths to your life. <coughs> To take thoughts captive and bring them into the obedience of His Lordship. To seek Him above all. To trust in Him. To know that He is your strength. That He is your shield. To, to resolve. To, to decide firmly on a course of action. And to make up your mind. To make up your mind to follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 25 don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize, look at this, that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. This is your purpose. This is our understanding. We are to run to win, but we're not seeking to gain a temporal prize. No, this is an eternal prize that we're seeking. Galatians 5, verse 24 through 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit... Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives to resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action, to make up one's mind, to come to the understanding that if you've accepted Christ, then you belong to Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you've nailed the passions and desires of your sinful nature to His cross. And so now, since we are to live by the Spirit... Let us follow the Spirit's leading, look at this, in every part of our lives. Not just the parts that we want Him to have, but all of us. And so I want to throw this out to you this morning as we're going to go through Scripture. But over the past couple of weeks, I've had an opportunity just to really sit and, and, to, and to just meditate upon Christ and to think upon Christ and to really just focus in on, on His Word and on His truth. And I'm re I've been reminded that it wasn't until I truly saw him for who he was 
that I really began to see truly who I was. We will never fully have a comprehension of who God is until we truly see who we are. Again, you've heard me say for multiple times over and over and over and over again that there's no error found in God. The error is found in us. We're sinners. We're in rebellion towards Him. The living God. The true God. And for so long before we've come to Christ, we've been deceived into thinking that the error is found in Him. That He's the one with the issue. That He's wrong and we're right. We've believed a lie. You know, it's the thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says that I've come to give you life and life in abundance. And so when we can truly see our condition, it is with great joy that we can truly receive him for who he is. Because he could have left us. He could have stiff-armed us. He could have just stepped aside and just let us go. No, no, but he didn't. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we see it all through scripture. That's why we're walking through scripture. That's why we're going to continue to walk through scripture until he returns or calls us home. Because when you truly see him for who he is, when you have the right understanding of who God is and who you are, you can't help but bow down before him. He, he doesn't force us. No, it's a willingness. Because you see that there's nothing in and of yourself. <laughs> nothing in and of yourself except a rebellious nature that only craves the temporalness of this life, and yet life is here today, gone tomorrow. Here today and gone tomorrow, and yet we crave, like when you truly get an understanding of your nature, like we crave the temporalness of this life. And you say, well, what's the problem of that? Because there's no value in it. There's no value in the temporalness of life because everything is fading. I don't know if you watched the video of that couple being dragged out of their car and shot in Chicago. But I watched it. And I usually don't watch videos like that. But I watched it about six or more times, just repeated over and over and over. And I kept thinking, oh dear God. Life here today gone tomorrow. They were just out enjoying themselves. And a simple bumper to bumper tap crash caused the chaos that ensued to drag them out and to shoot them. When you look at the collapse of that building in Miami, they went to bed with hopes to get up the next day. Here today, gone tomorrow. When you look at just what's happening around the earth, and it's been happening from the beginning. <laughs> when the created was put out of the garden 
because they chose to worship themselves than to worship God. All throughout history, time and time and time and time and time again, the created has demanded its rights to worship itself and to desire all that it wants of the created. And so they've been given it. But God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to himself. He will have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. They will live for him. They will honor him. Above all, they would love him. And so we wall around not in our, oh, poor me, look how bad I am. Oh, what a horrible person I am, yada, 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 yada. No, because we understand that condition. But when we come to Christ, we lay it down. <laughs> and that's why Jesus says you must be born again of a new nature. And the only way to be born again of this nature is through him. It's just that simple childlike faith that he is the son of God and that he rose from the dead. See, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And yet that statement and that statement alone causes so much fury and and anger out there because the world will never receive Christ because of Satan. Because the enemy who thought at one time he could rise up and yet he was tossed out. And he rules, and he reigns over this earth. But his time is coming, so that's when even when you study Revelation and you understand why all this is taking place and why we are leading up to the return of Christ. When you have time just to sit and to think, and you just kind of look at your life, what are you hungering for? What are you fighting for? What are you, why are you resisting him? Like again, for many years, as we all do, we have a, uh, the wrong picture of God. He is a just God, and he is a God of wrath. But he's a God of love, and he's a God of mercy. And he's a God of grace. And he's a God that transforms us as we are born again of a new nature. We've been given the Holy Spirit now to live a life. And that's why we can't just keep claiming his name and then living however we want because that's not what we are called to. See, we're called to, to decide firmly on a course of action, to make up one's mind. You know, the first are repentance. The second are to resolve. The third are is to release. And the whole process is growth, to mature. Not perfection, 
We're not perfected until we are with Him, but until then we are to continue to grow. And we will look strange to the people of this earth. We will look odd to those who have not been born again. We will be troublemakers to the religious people. But we are to honor our God and to trust Him. So that's why Galatians 5, verse 24 through 25 Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passion and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And that's why I've I've encouraged you and I've shared what God has done in my life. Because at the beginning and even to this day, one of my favorite prayers is to pray is show me then, Lord, who I am. Because I know how I will live in and of myself, but how am I to live in Christ? Who am I? How am I to live? If I'm not to do this any longer, then what am I to be doing? You've begun this work in me. You're faithful to complete it. And it's every, it's the very nature of, of sin in you. It's just not one sin. It's everything. It's a very nature. Because in that rebellion, in that nature, before you were born again, anything and everything could come to you. And you can react however and live however you want. And listen, that's why we don't hate the world. That's why we don't hate the loss. No, we have compassion because we remember what it was like to be there. And that's why we get up each and every single day to go forth to be the light. To trust in Him. To honor Him. To dress for battle. Romans 6, 11 through 12. Again, when you hear this scripture, think of resolve. To decide firmly on a course of action to make up one's mind. So you also should, what? Consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin. And alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Listen to that, Romans 6, verse 11 through 12. So you should consider yourself dead to the power of sin. Like, I just want to challenge you this week. Go put truth into practice. Apply truth. Trust what Scripture is saying. There is a way in which we are called to live. Christ calls us out of darkness. We are now brought into his marvelous light. There is a work begun in us that we are called to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross and to follow him. There is a way in which we are to live. But remember, the Christian life is not a burdensome life. No, it's a liberating life. There's so much joy in the Christian life. There's so much hope in the Christian life that even when we go through trials, even though we may be pressed up against, hard-pressed, even though we may feel abandoned, we know that He will never leave us, never forsake us, that He is with us until the end, that He strengthens us, that He allows us to go through trials because He knows trials are what's going to produce something within us. 
perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope, and that hope is in Christ. And our hope in Christ, we will never be disappointed, you all. We will be disappointed in the temporal things of life. We will be disappointed if we put our hope in man. We'll be disappointed if we put our hope in our bank account. We'll be disappointed if we put our hope in government. We'll be disappointed if we put our hope in our desires. We'll be disappointed if we put our hope anywhere else than in Christ. Oh, is your hope in Christ. The I Ams. I've given these to you many times. But I want to challenge you, if you've never just taken them for a week, and to really just meditate upon them. And, and do you believe these? Like if you're calling yourself a Christian, oh, how I pray that you truly are a Christian, not just by speech that I'm a Christian, no, no, but by death, the dying of self and receiving the life that is found truly in Christ, that you have been born again of a new nature. And so what is that new nature? I am a child of God. I'm redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I am forgiven. I am saved by grace through faith. I am justified. I am sanctified. I am a new creature. I am a partaker of his divine nature. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I am delivered from the powers of darkness. I am led by the Spirit of God. I am a child of God. I am kept in safety Wherever I go, I am getting all my needs met by Jesus. I am casting all my cares on Jesus. I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I am doing all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. I am an heir to the blessings of Abraham. I am observing and doing the Lord's commandments. I am blessed coming in and going out. I am an inheritor of eternal life. I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. I am healed by his stripes. I am exercising my authority over the enemy. I am above only and not beneath. I am more than a conqueror. I am establishing God's word here on earth. I am an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. I am daily overcoming the devil. I am not moved by what I see. I am walking by faith and not by sight. I am casting down vain imaginations. I am bringing every thought into captivity. I am being transformed by a renewed mind. I am a laborer together with God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am an imitator of Jesus. And I am the light of the world. The I am's. They're not just some mantra to say over and over and over and over. No, these are truths from God's Word that impacts your life, that transforms you as you apply these truths to your life. How horrible it is to think that Jesus came to this earth, endured and suffered all that He did just for us to continue to live how we want. And yet, that's what's being promoted by the majority of the churches that are out there. Just keep living however you want. And that's not the gospel. That's not what you will find all through Scripture. 
God is looking for a people, again, that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God, and He has had them throughout all generations. A people that belonged to Him. Not because they were forced to, no, but because they came to Him because He was so gracious and so kind to reveal himself to them. And that's why I love it when Paul says, the gospel that I preach is not because man taught it to me. No, God was pleased to reveal himself to me through his son Jesus. I don't want to continue to live by the temporalness and the desires that are from within for the temporalness of things of life. Because again, you're here today and you're gone tomorrow. So it is defining your life. Like we were never created for the temporalness of life. We were created for eternity. And oh, how I pray that our eyes would be open to truly see the warfare that is going on around us. And not just around us, but around our loved ones. And not just around us and our loved ones and our family, but our friends, our city, our nation, the earth. Like we are progressing rapidly (laughs) to a decline like we've never seen on the earth before. And all of it, prophetically, has been captured in one book. The living word of God. I keep telling you, man, man can't make this up. I was in a meeting the other day and the people I was meeting with from this one company, they're not Christians, and yet they're the ones who brought up the fact that Doesn't it seem that time is just speeding up? Like even the unsaved, they're beginning to sense a shifting. Something's going on in the earth. Something's going on in the world. Things are just escalating. Things are just speeding up. And yet scripture talks about that. And the reason why it needs to speed up. (laughs) That God has a plan, you all. And I hope that as we open Scripture this morning that you truly came with an understanding that God, above all, I don't want to hear man. God, I want to hear from you. Speak to me through your word. Change my heart, God. Draw me to a place of repentance that I can get to a place that I can resolve and then release, that I can mature and that I can be about your business while I'm on this earth. Like your life is so much more because you were created for the eternal things. Not for the temporal things. You're going to spend eternity one place or another. Heaven or hell. And I know people don't like to hear that. But unfortunately, there's no other choice. There's no other place that people go. And for an eternity... For eternity, you are alive in one or the other places. And so just think upon that. As you're making decisions, as you're going through this upcoming week, what are you choosing? Are you choosing self or are you choosing Christ? And I keep telling you all, I don't think the church has done a good job in equipping people for the days that are approaching. We are going to be pushed out of different parts of society 
because you're not going to be welcomed. Not because of you, but because of Christ. Like it's ramping up. But it's not to make us afraid. It's not to give up on life and like let's just sit and do nothing. Oh no, there's so much to be done. Again, the Christian life is a fulfilled life. It's a life that is lived on purpose. But it's lived for the glory of Christ. It is understanding that there is work to be done while it is still light. While we still have the opportunity to go forth, and, and again, not to, to make it about us, or to make it about this, or to make it about that, but to make it about Christ, and that's why I keep encouraging you. Your character should be formed and fashioned as, as a believer. Like, you're, you're beginning to learn and understand what it means to be discipled, to go forth in your communities, at your workplace, to be the one who thinks of others before they think of themselves, to be the one that serves diligently, to be the one that shows compassion and cares, to be the one that is offering themselves. (laughs) That's how we're called to live because that's how Christ came to live. If you look how he lived while he was on this earth, He came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't lose sight of who he was while he was among them. They were drawn to him because he was different from all the other religious leaders. He was different. There was something about him. And so it should be with us, his church, his bride, his people. People should see a difference and we should be strange to them because we're not living again for ourselves, we have resolved, we've made up our mind to follow Christ. Go to Luke chapter 9. Some scriptures to encourage you to persevere as you get up each day to resolve. So Luke chapter 9. Verse 57-62. The cost of following Jesus. <clears throat> 57 through 62 as they were walking along someone said to Jesus I will follow you wherever you go but Jesus replied foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests but the son of man has no place even to lay his head he said to another person Come, follow me. That man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him that the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Think about that. This is Jesus, you all. This is Jesus. 
There's so many people nowadays. Yes, I'm a follower of Christ. I go to church. Yes, Jesus. And yes, this. And yes, that. And, and they have a form of religion. They can know scripture back and forth, up and down, left and right. They can pray. They can give. They can do whatever. But yet they can be so far from Christ. <laughs> because they've never really truly accepted him. Their service to Christ is all about them. And it's not about Christ. And how sad is that? I keep telling us, we don't add Christ to our life. You don't go, oh, okay, okay, I'm a Christian. Yes, okay. No, no. The, 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 the sincere heart of a believer is one who comes to the end of themselves. I surrender. I'm a sinner. I need you. This is the truth of the gospel. And Jesus is not moved by people's desires to follow him. The cost of following Jesus, he's very clear. It's not like the ways of the world. This world is not my home. Even Jesus tells us, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. This is a spiritual life. This is living on a whole different plane. You're above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's a way in which we are called to live. And Jesus is telling these people here, your interest in me is of the wrong reason. And then he ends it, listen to this, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And this is what it's all about, y'all, the kingdom of God. This is what everything is building up to, the kingdom of God, His glory. This eternal presence that we will be ushered into, if you're a believer, for all eternity. For all eternity. To live and to be with our God. For eternity. Oh, the joy that should flood our souls. And then the flip side of it. The terror that should grip our heart to know that there will be those who will enter into eternity separated from God for all eternity. And that is what drives us with the compassion that we should have for the lost to go forth and to share the truth with them. Not to share religion with them, but the truth with them. Are you fit for His kingdom? And it's nothing in and of yourself. You can't get yourself in. It's all about Christ. It's all that He has accomplished. I mean, this is the good news. He doesn't put all these conditions on us to burden us. No, it's a simple belief. It's a simple belief. Do you believe? And then that belief and that confession will alter your life because you will be born again. Go to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 34. We saw just in the past scriptures the cost of following Jesus. 
Here is the cost of being a disciple. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, Again, here we have a lot of people interested in Jesus, moved by what Jesus has been doing for them. If you want to be my disciple, remember, this is Jesus' words. You, <clears throat> if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin, now, oh, listen to this, until you count the cost. Highlight that, circle that. Have you counted the cost? It's going to cost you something. This weird thing that we do with people, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian. That's not how Jesus did it. Have you considered the cost? When I counsel people, when I share with people, it's what I've always come to. Consider the cost. Don't rush into it because it's going to cost you everything. Tell people, if I'm going to counsel you, I'm going to counsel you with the Word of God. That's all I have. I can counsel you the ways of the world, but what good is that going to lead you? You're just going to be trapped in the temporalness of life, enslaved to sin, mastered by the evil one. But there is good news for those who come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But consider the cost. It's going to cost you everything. And no one and nothing should be put above Jesus. We need to hear that. These are Jesus' words. No one or no thing is to be above Jesus. Oh, I'll get to Jesus when I have time. I'll serve when I have time. I'll fellowship when, I, when it's convenient for me. I'll do this the way that I want to do it and I'll be okay. Well, then you've created your own God. Because that's not Jesus' way. And you say, well, what am I supposed to do? Is it all supposed to be just about Jesus? Yes. Your life now is different. You have been transformed. There is a new birth that has taken place within us. And we are to be so consumed with Jesus. Well, no, I, that's, I can't do that. I can't live that way. Then that's good. You've considered the cost. You, you've chosen to go your way, and that's your choice. But under, just understand the realities of what's facing you. Because the crazy thing is, is why would we say, okay, I'll believe in Jesus, but I'll let him be Jesus when I want him to be. That's the, most, that's the most craziest concept, but yet that's how we see a lot of people live. And that's what we see going on all through the Old Testament. And even the New Testament, the church has had to deal with people. Who just hold a form of religion, and yet they don't understand the fullness of what it means to belong to God. To belong to God. Jesus says, consider the cost. 
And then he goes on a little further. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone, look at this, would laugh at you. They would say, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king will go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. You say, I've got to give up everything, everything. Everything that's not pleasing to him. Everything that holds you captive to the temporalness of this life. Listen, y'all, please understand the days that are ahead. I'm not making it up. I'm not a conspiracy theory, theorist. I, I'm not trying to make everyone weird and, 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 and afraid and, and anxious. Because a true Christian is to be anxious for nothing. They understand the days that are approaching. See, you have to live with the spiritual mindset. Your eyes have to be open to see what is going around. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities in the air of the darkness. And they're out to destroy souls. To destroy lives. Yes, it's nice to have things, but don't cling to them. Don't hold nothing so tightly that it defines you. Relationships, possessions, jobs, anything like that. Because once they're removed, then what do you have? You've lived an empty life because that's what you have found your value in, your worth in. But your worth and your value is so much greater than the temporalness of this life. Like when your value and, and, and worth is in Christ, whatever comes against you, whatever happens. Listen, we can wake up tomorrow and the economy can crash. We can wake up tomorrow with an all-out war throughout the earth. We can wake up with the most craziest things to happen to us. We can stop at a traffic light and be drugged out of our cars. But what are you living your life for? What are you giving it for? And I keep saying, why would we keep demanding our rights to keep doing what is killing us? Like we're fighting for the right to continue to live on the temporalness of this life that's actually destroying us. Like nothing good is going to come from it, and yet we demand that we keep doing it. Whoa! What kind of craziness is that? But oh, when your eyes are open, when you can see, it's all for Him, you all. It's all for Him. And each one of us have got to, has got to get to that place. It may look different for each of us, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Loosen your grip on the temporalness. And sometimes you've got to remove stuff completely. Sometimes you just got to remove stuff, relationships completely away from you. 
You have to consider the cost. You have to die to self. You have to pick up the cross and to follow him. He goes on and says, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Again, these are Jesus' words. He wasn't moved and like, oh, look how large my ministry is. Look at the impact that I have. No, he knew exactly the condition of the hearts of those who were following him. Again, we have to understand not everyone is going to heaven. It's a very narrow road because the, the majority of people who are birthed they're consumed by the temporalness of life. Again, from our Revelation study, Jesus returns to the earth, and he has how long? A th- what type of rain? A thousand-year thousand rain on this earth. He brings back the people who were martyred with him. And there's a thousand years that he's going to reign on this earth. The presence of God among his people There would be people who would still be born, birthed. Generations upon generations will continue under the beauty of the rule of Christ until one day Satan is released, the Bible says. And now you've had these people who have lived with the beauty of the rule and reign of Christ, turn against him. Just as we saw in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they lived in the presence of God. They had fellowship with God. They had all that they ever needed. And yet, when approached, God wasn't enough for them. And as it will be for these people, God would not be enough for them. And the book of Revelation tells us they turn from God. And then at the final point, the end of time, as the earth knows it, God strikes them down. They reject him. I mean, come on. There's no error found in him. The error is found in us. We want to be God. We don't need God. We stiff harm him. No, we would rather have all of this. And that is your choice. That is my choice. But oh, when you taste and you see that he is good, you're not going to settle for this here because you're living with a different mindset, with a renewed heart. How does he transform us? By changing the way we think. I mean, this is the Christian life, you all. And if you're going to follow Christ, consider the cost. Understand what it's going to cost you. And if you don't want to follow him, 
That is your choice. You can have the world. Go get your fill of it. But at the end, understand that was your choice. Christ didn't stiff arm you. Christ didn't tell you, you know, whatever. All he is doing is he is revealing himself to you. So at the end of the age, when you stand before him, you are rewarded with what you desired. That's the bottom line. So then how are we living? Let's go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 through 21. And people say, well, you know, when, when the preacher preaches or when I hear the, when God's word is open and I hear it, Ah, it seems so hard. It seems so judgmental. It seems so thick to process. And it ought to be. Because you ought to be considering the cost. This message is not meant to tickle your ears. This message is not meant to, to, to give you a better life here. No, this message is about His kingdom. And it ought to draw the line in the sand. And yet when you hear the weight of it, you also need to be attentive instead of listening to the lie of the enemy. You need to be attentive to how God lifts the burden. And how does God lift the burden of His judgment and of His wrath? Through Christ. Christ took it for us. And it's in Christ that we are freed so that we don't have to live a humdrum life or poor me life or this life is so hard. No, 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 no. It is in Christ that we are liberated to walk upright. This is the good news, you all. So chapter 2 of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20 through 21. Oh, listen to this declaration. My old self has been crucified with Christ. When we're talking about resolve, to make up your mind, to decide, you all, <laughs> decide and to make up your mind that my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by what? Trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Could you imagine if you really put this in front of you every single day, especially if you're kind of new to the faith? Like you have to keep truth in front of you. Rather you're new, rather you're seasoned in the faith. You can't, you're never going to grow to a place where you're like, oh, okay, oh no, day to day you need to get rooted in Christ. But do you truly understand this? Your old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, look at this, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die. It's just having a checklist was, was all, that's what it was about? Then why Christ? And that's why I told you all, there's a lot of people who understand the love of God. Go out there, talk with your friends, talk with people. God loves me, God loves me, and they understand that truth. But there's so much more. 
What did God do because of His love for you? That's the conversation we need to start having first with ourselves and then with others. And we got to get to a place where we understand what you've done with your old self. Galatians tells us the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. That battle is going to continue, but you are not to give in to the flesh. And when you do, when you sin, don't stay down, get up, throw the sin off that so easily entangles you. Repent, get up, move on, move forward, because that again is the direction of the Christian life. It's a movement of forward. It's a movement of maturing, of growing. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is the only way to worship Him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But look at this. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. You see, that is the will of God. It's good for you. It's pleasing. It's perfect. That's why I always tell you all. I get so encouraged by reading testimonies of our brothers and sisters who are enduring. I mean, we're enduring, but we're not enduring. Like again, when I tell you, there's families that got up today on the other side of the world. And they gathered together. They had a prayer time with each other. And then they encouraged each other. This is before they go to church. We may not make it home. You may not make it home. This is what's waiting out there for us. But don't deny Christ. Remain in Christ. Trust in Christ. And when they step out the door, the majority of them don't make it back home. I mean, I read the last time we met, I read the testimony of this pastor who looked at his wife and told her, cling to Christ, trust in Christ, no matter what they do to me, trust in Christ. And then within minutes, he was brutally beaten to death. Why would people go through that? It's because they know. Like, it's not a, it's not a religion to them. It's not a game. It's not like, okay, no. no they, their lives have been altered. They have considered the cost. When they bow their knee overseas, they know it means the loss of everything. Family, possessions job, their wealth, everything, their status, everything is stripped from them. Why? Because of Jesus, because they believe. And that's what I keep telling you. You, you got to get beyond the temporalness of life and look up. Because it wouldn't make sense to destroy or to kill people who follow a God 
that makes them a better person. And not just it makes them a better person, but it makes the community better. Because you have a group of people now who are not living for themselves, they're thinking of others. They're sharing. They're giving. They're obeying the authorities. They're honoring each other. It should impact your life that people see there's a, there's a, you're different. What is it about you? I remember who you were, but what do you mean you're not this and not that? What is this Jesus you're talking about? Oh, you're one of them now. And so we don't take it lightly. I mean, even in our own country, Christians who have built businesses, who who have kept to themselves, who have honored God quietly. They don't have a platform. They just live their lives. They are being attacked. Their businesses are being stripped from them. Why? Because they hold a standard of godliness. You see what's happening all throughout the earth. And I go, God help us to awake to be awake for the time that we have purposed us to be. Like I keep telling us your purpose for today. If other people told you that you were a mistake or this or that, no, no, you were purposed for today. You were purposed for this darkness. You were purposed to be a light in this generation. That's why you must know your God. You must understand how what it is to live for Him, to honor Him. Not just to show up and to show out. No, but to live and to get grounded in him. I mean, there is a move happening around the earth. It's just not in one area or another area. The earth is in turmoil. And people are desiring and they want to be free. And they're fighting for freedom. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong to to stand up and and declare that you want to be free. But oh my goodness, your freedom, the level of freedom should not just remain at the temporal. True freedom doesn't come just because a government is liberated. No, true freedom only comes through Christ who liberates us from the stronghold of the enemy and from ourselves and from the world. You know, when I look and I see what's happening over in England, and there's millions of people on the streets marching. They just want to be free. You're not going to see it on your media, the national media, but go look at what people from those areas are posting. Go see these shots of these millions of people on the streets demanding basically to be free. There's a desire in everyone who was birthed for freedom. And why do you think throughout the earth people have looked for someone, something to set them free? That's where all these religions come from. There's a desire in every single one of us. But your freedom only comes through Christ you all. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And finally, we looked at it earlier, but let's go back to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. Again, scriptures and hope, I hope that would encourage you to persevere in resolving and making up your mind. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. You see, these just can't be words. This has to be action. That's why in the book of James it says you just can't be a hearer of the word. You must be a doer of the word. So Galatians 5, verse 24 through 25. And that's why it's vital to be discipled. That's why it's vital. I, I tell you, sometimes I counsel Christians who have been a Christian for years, and yet they have no biblical, grounded, foundational truth of who Christ is. And the reality is when I look at them and I say, well then, I have to tell you, you're not a Christian. And of course a lot of people get offended. But other people hear the reality of truth. You know, it's like we talked about Carrie before. Carrie gave me a list of why she was a Christian. All of her works, all of her years in church, her status in church. And I've had to look at her and say, well, but where's Jesus? Right? And it's not being harsh. It's not being mean. But the reality is, if I love someone, if I genuinely care about someone's eternity, what am I going to hold back? Why would I be impressed of a resume? How is it that you could sit in church year after year after year after year and your life not be impacted by truth? It's not the preacher's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's you. You've chosen. You've decided that for whatever reason, he isn't God. He doesn't have all that you need. And how sad. Because that's where a lot of people find themselves. I can read this scripture and say, so explain to me how you, how are you, how is this actively in your life? How are you putting this into practice? What does that mean? But listen, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Is that your truth? Do you understand what that means? Do you understand how that's to be applied? He goes on, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not just the parts we want God to have, but everything. So what does it look like to live a surrendered life? That's why discipleship is vital. And that's why Jesus understood it was vital. That's why he told his disciples, and when he commissioned them to go forth, as we all have received it, as we come to Christ, to go, <laughs> preach the gospel, baptizing people, and teaching them to obey all of my commandments. It's discipleship. Being discipled, being grounded in Christ, to know what it means to be born again, 
And you ought to celebrate that birth. You ought to understand the fullness of what just happened in your life. Yes, it's all freshly new, but there's a hunger. There is a thirst to know more of Christ. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're reading chapter 12 through 13 today. We're walking through the Scripture, getting to know our God. Because unless we know Him, we won't really see our nature that's in need of Him. The Israelites, God's people, let's not forget... God set these people apart for himself in their time. Remember? They were slaves in Egypt. They were oppressed. It was horrible. They cried out for years and for years and for years to what? Be what? Free. They just want to be free. And God heard their cries. God sent Moses and Aaron. God delivered them from Pharaoh. God revealed himself to them. And don't forget, when Moses went up to the mountain and he was away for some time, what did the people end up saying? They were grumbling and they were complaining. Where's Moses? All of a sudden... God wasn't enough for them. That's what I'm telling you. We have to guard our hearts. You see, God is enough. We have to guard our hearts. When we doubt Him, when the seed of doubt is sown, He's not enough. We get the wrong impression of who He is. And yet, though, we will search for another God. I'm telling you... Would you just look at your own nature? Because it's no different from anyone else's. From time beginning until time end, the, the human flesh, the nature of humans is remarkable. They're looking, searching for freedom, and yet they keep making these gods who oppress them. The true God, the living God, he's not an oppressor. He's a God of freedom, a God of hope, a God of life. That is his nature. That is who he is. So God became not enough for them. And so what do they do? We will build our own God. And they designed this golden calf and began to worship it And they even announce, this is the God, in the midst of their drunken orgy fest, going on worshiping this golden calf, they announced over this God that they designed, this is the God who delivered us. What? Like they just saw God move in the most miraculous way. And yet, they were deceived by a group of people among them who murmured, complained, and fault-find. Murmur, complained, and fault-find. Oh, be careful 
who you're hanging out with. Be careful. Know your enemy. I keep telling you all, you all are behind enemy lines. A part of discipleship is to understand who the enemy is too and his tactics and how to apply truth in order to be able to stand. And that's why the Bible in Ephesians tells you, after you've done all you know to do, then just stand. And stand there for them. You don't have to quake. You don't have to be afraid. God is for you. Who can be against you? But there's a group of people among them nothing good to say and they all fell underneath that demonic teaching and they started worshipping this God that they created oh you move on from there God dealt with them (laughs) move on he's calling them out he's revealing himself over and over He's given them insight to his character, how to worship him. He's reminding them, listen, you all, you all are my people. Do not look at these other nations. Do not be impressed with them. Don't do what they're doing. You see, everything that I have for you is good. And yet, and yet, they kept kept looking out elsewhere. He delivered them into the promised land. He gave them this land that they didn't have to work for. It was just turned over to them. They had everything that they needed, but instead of worshiping God, well, why can't we do what that nation is doing? Why can't we live like them? Hey, why don't we worship like they worship, and, and then we can, like, you know, bring their worship into our worship and, you know, we can start doing what they're doing and we can give ourselves sexually as they give themselves sexually and we can feast and drink and do all that they're doing, right? Because it's okay, isn't it? And yet God is watching yet his people getting caught up in it again. We go through the the period of the judges the people cry out. God raises up a judge. And, and, and then they go through a period of time when they're honoring God. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, whoop, they're right back where they began. And you see this over and over and over. And now they've demanded they want a king. And you remember, God had already purposed and planned for a king for them. It just wasn't the time for him. But they demanded a king. When we open up the book of Samuel, we hear them demand their their need for a king. And do we remember why they wanted a king? Because they said, we want to be like the other nations. But you're not supposed to be. And yet, it's no different than in our generation. People are sitting in churches. People are claiming Christianity, and yet they're trying to twist Christianity into these other religions that are out there, these other desires that are out there. And it just doesn't work. It never has. It never will. And so now they're demanding a king, and God gives them a king. God gives them a king. King Saul. From the least of the tribe, a good-looking guy, tall guy, 
Bible describes him of who he, what his who he, what he looked like. We met. We see him in the beginning of the book of Samuel, humbled. And now, we pick up today, and we see the fall of the of their king. Chapter twelve, Samuel the prophet. Then Samuel addressed all of Israel. I have done as you asked in giving you a king. Your king is now your leader. I stand here before you, an old gray-haired man, and my sons serve you. I have served as your leader from the time I was a boy to this very day. Now testify against me in the presence of the Lord and before his anointed one. Whose ox or donkey have I stolen? Have I ever cheated any of you? Have I ever oppressed you? Have I ever taken a bribe and perverted justice? Tell me, and I will make right whatever I have done wrong. No, they replied. You have never cheated or oppressed us, and you have never taken even a single bribe. The Lord and his anointed one are my witness today, Samuel declared, that my hands are clean. Yes, he is a witness, they replied. It was the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, Samuel continued. He brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt. Now stand here now stand here quietly before the Lord as I remind you of all the great things the Lord has done for you and your ancestors. When the Israelites were in Egypt and cried out to the Lord, he sent Moses and Aaron to rescue them from Egypt and to bring them into this land. But the people soon forgot about the Lord their God, so he handed them over to Caesarea, the commander of Hesor's army, and also to the Philistines and to the king of Moab who fought against them. Then they cried to the Lord again and confessed, We have sinned by turning away from the Lord and worshiping the images of Baal and Ashtoreth. But we will worship you and you alone if you will rescue us from our enemies. Then the Lord sent Gideon, Bedan, Jephthah, and Samuel to save you, and you lived in safety. But when you were afraid of Naash and the king of Ammon, you came to me and said that you wanted a king to reign over you, even though the Lord your God was already your king. All right, here is the king you have chosen. You asked for him, and the Lord has granted your request. Now, if you fear and worship the Lord and listen to his voice, and if you do not rebel against the Lord's commands, then both you and your king will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord, I'm sorry, but if you rebel against the Lord's commands and refuse to listen to him, then his hand will be as heavy upon you as it was upon your ancestors. Now stand here and see the great thing the Lord is about to do. You know that it does not rain at this time of the year during the wheat harvest. I will ask the Lord to send thunder and rain today. Then you will realize, oh my goodness, you all, look at this, how wicked you have been in asking for the Lord, asking the Lord for a king. Do you get what's happening here? The prophet, the man of God is standing. First he stands, listen, if I've done any wrong to you, You haven't done anything. 
okay. And then he begins to lay out the charges against them. But then he reminds them how gracious and kind God was to hear their cry, yet though in the midst of their rebellion, to save them. He heard their cry. Every time they turn from him, he hears their cry and he remembers. God, as it is with them, so it is with us. Now we have to get the right image of who God is. He lays out this understanding to these people. They are hearing it, and yet instead of turning and repenting, he takes it up even another notch. If you, and if he goes on and he says, Now if you fear and worship the Lord, verse 14, and listen to his voice, and if you do not rebel against the Lord's commands, then you and your king will show, will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord's commands and refuse to listen to them, then his hand will be heavy upon you as it is with your ancestors. And then he says, Now stand here, O God, and see the great thing the Lord is about to do. You know it does not rain at this time of year during the wheat harvest. I will ask the Lord to send thunder and rain today. Then you will witness, I'm sorry, then you will realize how wicked you have been in asking the Lord for a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people were terrified of the Lord and of Samuel. And look how they respond. Pray to the Lord your God for us, or we will die, they all said to Samuel. For now we have added to our own sins by asking for a king. Don't be afraid, Samuel reassured them. You have certainly done wrong. But make sure now that you worship the Lord, look at this, with all of your heart, and don't turn your back on him. So that sign, that, that rain and that thunder drove panic in them. They realized, oh, we have done wrong. And so they ask again for God's mercy. And yet again, God lays out the understanding. Follow me. Worship me with all of your heart. As it was then, so it is today. Don't go back to worship, verse 21, worthless idols you cannot help, I'm sorry, that cannot help or rescue you. They are totally useless. Stop turning back to the temporalness of life. Stop going back and worshiping that which has no power. The Lord will not abandon his people because that would dishonor his great name. For it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. As for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. And I will continue to teach you what is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve Him. Think of all the wonderful things He has done for you. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. There's consequences, you all. Verse chapter 13. Saul was 30 years old when he became king. 
and he reigned for 42 years. Saul elected 3,000 special troops from the army of Israel and sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of, of the chosen men with him to Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. The other 1,000 went with Saul's son, Jonathan, to Gilbeath in the land of Benjamin. Soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated the garrison of the Philistines at Geba. The news spread quickly among the Philistines, so Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this, rise up and revolt. All of Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison in Geba, and that the Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Mishmath, east of Beth-Haven. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because, oh goodness, they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Instead of trusting in God, now, now they have turned and now they are afraid of their enemies. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. As Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So highlight verse 9, you all. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. And that is not the way to worship God. The priest was the only one that could do that. He allowed his circumstances to drive him to act foolishly. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him, but Samuel said, What is this you have done? And Saul replied, I saw my men. Oh, we always have excuses, you all. Listen to his excuse. Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now, we'll highlight verse 14, but now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Let me get the first view or the first understanding of what a true king would be. One who has. Look at this. Salt, the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And we all know, if you know scripture, it's King David. King David would ultimately be the king that God would raise up. And that ultimately the Messiah would come through. 
And that's the whole purpose of Israel. As you're studying the Old Testament, everything of the Old Testament points to Jesus, you all. Everything of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Saul erred. (coughs) He chose to take it upon himself. And that's where we err in our own lives. When we get distracted, when we get overwhelmed, when things doesn't look like it's going to work out, we then take it in our strength. We begin begin to then try to manipulate things. We try to work things out instead of waiting on God's. God. God's timing is perfect, you all. He's always on time. If they would have known their God, if they would have worshipped their God, God did not bring them there to annihilate them. But they didn't trust God. And the own king, their own king didn't trust God. He took matters in his own hand. Nothing good will ever come out of taking matters into our own hand. Samuel then left Gilgal, verse 15, and went on his way. But the rest of the troops went with Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gilead in the land of Benjamin. When Saul counted the men who were still with him, he found only 600 were left. Saul and Jonathan and the troops with them were staying in Geba in the land of Benjamin. The Philistines set up their camp at Michmash. Three raiding parties soon up the camp of the Philistines. One <coughs> went toward Oprah in the land of Shul. Another went west to Beth Horon, and the third moved toward the border above the valley of Zebion near the wilderness. And I want you just to stop there for a second. Because don't miss what's going on here. Their enemies are looking at them. And we and as you read through the Old Testament, you realize that their enemies, these other nations, are not really impressed with the Israelites, but they're impressed with the God of the Israelites. They honor God. God more than the Israelites, God's people. And the crazy thing is, is that these enemies, I mean, they were strong in nature. They were, they were incredible, skilled, um, military. I mean, these guys were something else to be reckoned with. And yet they know that the God of Israel takes care of Israel. But when they look upon Israel, what do they see of the Israelites? But scared people. They were hiding everywhere. They were scattered everywhere. They knew that they could conquer them because they knew that that, those people did not trust in their God. The warfare of the enemy is no different. His tactics are no different today. We give him ground, and we ought not to give him ground. We ought to stand in the assurance of who our God is. And that's why I said in Ephesians, Ephesians tells us, it lays it out perfectly. Your, your, battle, your warfare is not against flesh and blood. It is against the rulers and the principalities and the air of the darkness. And after you've done all you know to do, then just stand and stand there for them. I mean, we have to get to a place where we grow up, where we, where we mature, and we understand who our God is. He is for us and not against us. We understand that the enemy has been defeated. He has no authority and no power over the church. 
He has no authority or no power over the Christian. No matter what is happening in the temporal realm around us, we are not to be moved by it. There is a way in which we are called to live, and that is unto Christ, and we're trusting Him. We're not to be cowering down because the, the lion is roaring. I told you, Scripture says that the enemy is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And I've, and I've encouraged us before, if you understand a lion, he's actually a very lazy animal. All he has going for him is his roar. He knows with his roar, he paralyzes his prey. And as soon as that prey is paralyzed, he pounces. But if that prey knew that if it kept running, the lion would lose interest in him. And that is so important. It's a lesson that we can learn. Just because the enemy is roaring at you, don't panic. Don't pause in fear. Keep going forward. Keep pressing on in Christ. Because he cannot get you. He has no authority over you. He has been defeated. He has been stripped. But we are still behind enemy lines. And Jesus even prays for us. He tells the Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world. But what does he say to the Father? But protect them by the name you gave me. Oh, come on. Can you just know him? Can you just not find excitement in who God is and see him for truly who he is? Like Jesus completed everything. Everything is done. That's why he cried out from the cross, it is finished. He has defeated sin and death. But the enemy has been given a time. Not because the enemy has the upper hand. No, because God has already established it. And God is going to fulfill His purpose in the midst of all of this craziness. And if these people would have truly known Him, things would have, been, would have went different. That's why we must truly know Him because of the season and the generation in which we're living in. So anyways, verse 19. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear they would make swords and spears for, for the Hebrews. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plowshares, picks, axes, and sickles, they had to take them to the Philistine blacksmith. The charges were as follows. A quarter of an ounce of silver for sharpening a plowshare or a pick, and an eighth of an ounce for sharpening an axe and making the point of an axe gold, ox gold. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or spear except for Saul and Jonathan. The pass at mismatch. Michmash had meanwhile been secured by a contingent of the Philistines' army. So we're leaving them today, surrounded yet again by their enemy. Go to John chapter 7, verse 1 through 29. I always try to encourage you, preach yourself happy, you all. Know your God. I hope to goodness you leave encouraged. I hope you, you have an insight or a desire to know him even more. To trust him even more. Jesus and his brothers were reading about chapter 7, verse 1 through 29. 
After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee, and he wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Look at this, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. Would you highlight that? Would you circle that? You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. The world, verse 7, can't hate you, because it does. but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. Just the mention of his name, you all, of his teachings, the world reacts. They're going to react because they're exposed. The condition of man, man's rebellion, the world and all of its systems is against Christ and ultimately Satan is against Christ. The Christian life, the Christian faith is never going to be popular on the face of this earth. And why on God's earth we keep allowing the quote-unquote church to become more worldly only shows you that what we're seeing is the beginning of the end. When the Bible, Scripture itself, talks about the falling away. And oh, Christian, if you're a Christian, oh, how I pray your roots are grounded in Christ for the days that are coming. Verse 10, But after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went. Though secretly staying out of public view, the Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued, he's a good man, but others said, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Then, midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much? When he hasn't been trained, they said, so Jesus told them, My message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves. But a person who speaks to honor the one who sent him, oh God, listen to this, speaks truth, not lies. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obey it. In fact, you are trying to kill me. The crowd replied, You're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? And Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and you all were amazed. But you work on the Sabbath, too, when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. Actually, this tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses. For if the correct time for circumcising your son falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it. 
so not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? But here he is speaking in public, and they say nothing to him. Could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? But how could he be? For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I come from. But I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true, and you don't know him. But I know him, because I come from him, and he sent me to you. Again, we see the interaction that Jesus is having with the religious people. We also see him interacting with the people that are oppressed by the religious leaders. Again, these were the religious men of the day. They should have been leading people to God, and yet they were leading people from God. And so it is with your life today. You're either leading people to God, or you're leading people from God. The reality is, Jesus knows who he is. He knew what he came to do. He was not caving in under pressure. He was not giving up. No, he knew ultimately the cross was his purpose. Listen, you all. That's the good news. This is the freedom that you long so long for in life. That, 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 that desire just to be whole. That desire just to belong. That desire that has driven you from the time you took your first breath. It can only be found in Christ. The wholeness that is in Christ. You know, when I reflected back over these past days and I thought about my brokenness and just my past and just crazy things that has happened to me and and I go, God, you're so gracious and you're so kind because, oh God, I remember how much I hated you and I blamed you for everything. And yet all along you were with me. All along you never left me. (coughs) All along you kept revealing yourself to me, yet though I kept pushing you away until finally until finally I realized what a mess and a rebellious man I am and my need for you and God you were so gracious and kind and yet he didn't have to be for any of us and yet he is he's constantly getting before us saying here I am trust me Trust in me. Turn to me. Give me your life. I'm your creator. I know what's best for you. Don't demand your right, you all, to live foolishly in this temporal world and die in it. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Go to Psalm 108. Coming to a close. Psalm 108. My heart is confident in you, O God. 
No wonder I can sing your praises with all my heart. Wake up, lair and heart. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. <clears throat> now rescue your beloved people. Answer and save us by your power. God has promised this by his holiness. I will divide up Shechem with joy. I will measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh too. Ephraim, my helmet, will produce my warriors. And Judah, my scepter, will produce my kings. But Moab, my waistband basin, will become my servant. And I will wipe my feet on Edom and shout in triumph over Philistia. Who will bring me into the fortified city? Who will bring me victory over Edmund? Oh, I'm sorry. Have you rejected us, O God? Will you no longer march with our armies? Oh, please help us against our enemies for our human help. Oh, goodness. Listen to that. Is useless. With God's help, we will do mighty things and he will trample down our foes. King's David, King David's song. His song that he penned and wrote. And we see the heart that he has for God. The honor that he gives God in the midst of uncertainty. Proverbs 15, verse 4. <clears throat> A nugget of wisdom for you to take away with you. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Hear that again? Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Oh, be mindful, you all, of the words that come from your mouth. Let's worship our Lord, and then I'll close us in prayer.
That so we could live, and he rose up from that.